You get what you deserve. What goes through your mind when you hear that? Is it karma? Do the hairs on your arms rise when you hear someone say that to you? (laughs) No, no, no. Don't worry. This is not what this episode is about. This episode is about the concept of working for what you earn. Or better yet, the power behind having something because you have worked for it and thus you have earned it. My name is Isidro Salas and welcome to 10,000 Tacos. Thank you for joining us today. If you are here for the very first time, thank you for choosing to listen and giving us a shot. We hope to not disappoint. But to get more about what the show is about, we'd ask you to go back a few episodes, perhaps all of them, to get more familiar with what the show is about. For those of you returning listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back. But more importantly, to those of you who continue to tell others about the show. Much, much, much love. Thank you. And with that, let's start with a Chardonnay problem. I have another Chardonnay problem to share with you. And this one's a little bit of more of a longer one. The previous ones, I try to make them short, but this one's a little longer. And I hope I don't bore you with it and I turn you off. Again, if you're new, a Chardonnay problem is a problem that really doesn't have or it really isn't a big problem compared to other problems in the world. And I call it a Chardonnay problem because Chardonnay is wine. And when you are whining about a problem, you know, the world has bigger problems. And here you are, Isidro, whining. I call it a Chardonnay problem. So this problem, and it's more of a little story that almost got me in trouble because I failed to see the problem. So I recently visited a DNV not too long ago, actually last week, I had to go down to the DNV and I made this appointment. This appointment was about three months ago. I had made the appointment and the soonest I could find time to go visit the DMV and the appointment system that they have was three months. So I did it three months ago and finally came. The other problem was that I had to drive about 50 miles south of where I live to go to this appointment. The appointment was to get a new ID. Anyway, when I got to the DNV, because I had driven for close to an hour, the first thing I had in my mind was to go straight to the restroom. I had to go to the restroom. And upon coming out of the restroom, I saw that there were more people in line. In the few minutes that I went to the restroom, a lot of people all of a sudden came in behind me. And I thought, all right, whatever. So I went up to the security guard and I asked uh, where the appointment line was. And she points to the line that is long, real long line. And I said, that line there? She said, yeah. And I said, that line? The one that's longer than that line? And she looks at me and she says, yes. Like with a stern yes, apparently, you know. This is the DNV, right? So anyway, I noticed that there was only one person tending both 
the walk-in and the appointment lines. And that she was switching between lines, meaning she'd call one person from the walk-in line. And then after she was done with them, she'd call another person from the appointment line. Why the F would you have an appointment system if everybody is going to be seen in this way? That's what I thought, right? Then I remembered it's the DNV, the most efficient department in the history of the entire world, the DMV. <laughs> anyway, as I waited and I watched the other line go through at a very, very same pace, I thought at one point to be at the front is like winning the lottery. That's what I thought. But anyway, I thought the other line was shorter. It seemed that. And finally, I get to the front of my line where there's a person right next to me that just comes up and stands to the right of me. And then that person gets called up. I later found out why. So anyway, I finally get to the counter. I said, I had a 10 a.m. appointment. Sorry, I'm late. The young lady then just doesn't even care. She just says, why are you here? Like, what's, what's your business here? And I said, well, I, I'm here to get a real ID. That's what it's called, a real ID. And for those of you who may not know what a real ID is, the Department of Homeland Security, the DHS, began implementing a real ID enforcement at all U.S. airports in January of 2018. And the plan is, by October 1st of 2020, every traveler, if you're going to be traveling within the United States, you need to have a real ID compliant license or any other acceptable form of ID, such as a passport or you know, all these things. So anyway, <clears throat> I was there to get one of these real IDs. So she then asked me, do you have all your documents? And I say, yes. And I begin to hand them over to her. And as she's reviewing the set of documents, I say, I didn't realize that all these years I've been using a fake ID. And I chuckled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she stops everything she's doing, right? Checking my documents and sort of closes this little envelope I had given her, places it down gently and scoots it up. She slowly looks up at me. She stares at me for about a few seconds, right? And it seemed longer than that. And she asked, excuse me, did I hear you say fake ID? She says. And she had this very Clint Eastwood kind of face as if she was waiting for me to say the right word, right? Well, let's, let's just say she wanted to hear the word yes. And she was just waiting to hear that. I knew what that meant, that look. And I said, oh, I just stayed quiet. And then she says, we take this very serious, Mr. Salas. I certainly hope you take it serious, too. And I just was, you know, put my tail between my... <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. I felt scolded, obviously. I mean, 
And I think it's one of those things you just don't say at a DNV when you're trying to get an ID. I get it. I, I understand that now. But the problem is this. Why call it a real ID, right? Like, what did you have before? It reminds me of the times where McDonald's at one point started rebranding their Chicken McNuggets. And I remember hearing an ad saying, try our new Chicken McNuggets, now served with real white meat. And I thought, well, what the hell were you giving us before? Yeah, Chardonnay problem. Just shut up, Isidro. You're lucky you got your ID. Let's move on with the show. <laughs> I keep losing listeners. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> so getting back to the beginning of the episode, as I was talking about the value of money, even if it's a penny on the floor, and more importantly, is it yours, right? Did you earn it? And that's what I want to focus on this episode is the notion of... When you earn something, when you work for it, do you earn it? If you didn't earn it, then it's not yours. So today on the show, we'll explore that. I'll bring up a couple of stories and how I learned what it was to earn something and to truly believe that it's yours if you earned it. So we'll begin with a time when I accepted a position. This was a corporate position. This was my first corporate position of my career. Yes, you could make the claim that my dot-com days were a corporate position, but nah, this time around, what I'm talking about here was my first legit corporate gig. So I accepted a job and my title was corporate transportation manager. And I was just super excited about this. I was so, so excited about this. Obviously, I was charged with running the transportation needs of an entire organization. This organization had a fleet of vehicles, up to 30 flatbed commercial trucks. And these were primarily used for customer deliveries. And then the other part of the transportation department was six tractor trucks, these big diesels, along with the trailers, for intercompany distribution needs. I was so stoked. I was so proud of myself because I felt that this was what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to work for an organization at the corporate level. And so again, I was very proud of myself and it came with an increased pay right, that I was used to before. And for the first time, I remember thinking I was so close to reaching that milestone for an annual salary. I remember thinking I was within reach of you know, within a couple of years, I could get to that infamous Century Club. I was just so happy that this was the beginning of that. So within a couple of weeks of taking this position, I get my first check. And of course, I'm excited to see how it breaks down. Even though I'm not an hourly employee, I'm a salary employee, you could still see you know, your hourly rate with your taxes, all your FICO and whatever the FICO score it is and and FICO you and you know what I'm talking about if you look at a check all the time but I I wanted to see what everything broke down to so yeah I was really really excited about just looking at this check 
And upon opening this check, I noticed that it was very, very big. It was bigger than I expected it. I mean, it was close to double. And I was like, what the hell? Did I? First, I was like, did I negotiate this? Did I really <laughs> negotiate this salary? And I didn't even know. And then I thought, well, no, maybe it's a bonus. Maybe it's a uh, onboarding bonus. Maybe they like me so much that they're going to give me a bonus and the first paycheck so I can feel good. And, and then I started thinking, maybe it's a test. You know, kind of like those tests that uh, when I used to be in charge of hiring in a previous organization, I remember we used to do these $100 bill tests where the person that we were going to interview, we would leave a $100 bill on the floor of the place they were waiting at. And if they told us that they found this $100 bill and we knew they had some integrity and honesty, and if they didn't, then we just wouldn't hire them because of that. Yeah, $100 is a cheap price to pay for a bad employee. Keep that in mind. Anyway, so for the next few minutes, I contemplated what I should do next. Should I just say anything? Should I just ignore it? And I knew deep down inside of me what I needed to do. The only problem is I didn't want to do it, but I knew I needed to do this. First, let me tell you how I came to the decision of what was the right thing to do. And it took me back to a time when we were selling tacos. We were out at that nightclub area, that busy corner in East San Jose. And this was about 10 o'clock at night. So it wasn't really, really busy, but it was around the time that people would start coming out. And this day, <clears throat> I remember specifically, this guy had ordered three tacos. Our tacos were $1.25. So one of the things we got used to doing right away, at a certain time, we knew that when somebody ordered, we would ask them to pay up front. That's pretty normal. We would ask up front because sometimes when, well, we found that it was harder to charge people after they'd gotten their orders. But I remember when we first started selling tacos, people would order and we would give them the food and then they would pay afterwards. It wasn't a big deal. But then we started figuring out that it was awkward to ask somebody to pay after, especially when people were intoxicated. And this was that case. This person was pretty drunk. And he was there with a couple of other people, but they were pretty drunk. And again, I was like, 10 o'clock, you're already drunk. But now I realize that some people go to the bar at four in the afternoon and drink all day. And then at 10 o'clock, they're done and they want to eat and they go home. This guy seemed to be that kind of person. So anyway, he orders his three tacos. And the very first thing after I give the order to my dad, it's like, hey, uh, it's going to be 375. And I tell him in Spanish. And he kind of like blows me off. Like, whatever. And he keeps talking to his friends. So I then asked him again, Señor, por favor, va a ser tres dólares y setenta y cinco centavos. And he looks at me like, like I know, like I know what it is. And he, you can tell he's getting a little bit offended. Then I ask him one last time, Señor, si puede pagar su orden ahorita? Can you pay your order now? And he just looks at me, he pulls out this wad of money and he throws it in my face. 
Uh, he throws it right at me. It bounces off like my chin, and then it bounces onto the floor. By this time, my dad had realized that something was going on. So he turns around, my dad does, he turns around because what he's doing, he's, he's facing the comal, he's doing the meat, the tortillas, he's getting tacos ready. So his back is towards me. But he realized that something was going on. He turns around, we both see that the money this guy, the customer had thrown at me, had hit the floor. And it was like a softball of money. And within all that money, I could see multiple hundred dollar bills. And I thought, <laughs> you're going to treat me like crap. Yeah, I'm going to make you pay for it. And my dad must have just seen that right away. He must have just caught it right away. Because when I looked at my dad, he looked at me as, no, you will not. Like he, he knew his son. He knew. And I'm not a mischievous kid. I, I, I just thought, well, you're going to throw all this money. I might as well just keep it. And my dad looked at me like he didn't even have to say a word. He just looked at me with this nice look, but very stern you need to give that money back so i picked it up off of our catering truck floor i took out a 10 and then i proceeded to give him change for that 10 but i also gave him his own and i said senor senor por favor sir sir please and he looks at me and i handed them all this money and he's like like mad at me because i've been asking him all this money while he's talking to his friends and i give him all his money plus the change for the 10 that I took out. And he doesn't even, like, this guy is so drunk, he doesn't care, and he just I just remember him being unappreciative of that. And my dad was, like, bothered that this man was talking to his son that way, but, again, the customer service, and you just, right, right? My dad just made it easy for me to understand. The more important issue wasn't the fact that I was being mistreated, even though that was important. The important issue here was that that money is not yours. You could have kept it all and that man wouldn't have noticed. He wouldn't have said, hey, I just gave you $600. He wouldn't have. He was so drunk, he wouldn't have known. But the important lesson was that I didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve that. We didn't earn it, right? We sold this guy three tacos, $3.75. And that's all we needed to collect from him. And that's the time I remember going back to present moment of getting this check. The dilemma that I had was I knew what the right thing was to do. I knew that it was important for me to notify the company I'm working for that they had made a mistake. So I walked into the office and I went to the HR person in charge of payroll. And I said, hey, is this, um, do you have some time? And she says, yeah, and this is, I got some time. And she says, uh, what can I help you with? How's everything going? I'm like, oh, it's going well, but I think there's a problem with my check. And she right away goes, oh my God, did we, not, did we not pay you correctly? I'm like, yeah, you did not pay me correctly. And she says, oh my God, oh, can I take a look at it? And she takes it, she pulls up my stuff. And she goes, oh, 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 yeah, we certainly didn't pay you correctly. And I said, yeah, that's what I thought. Is this, you know, and I was kind of joking around, but I go, was this a test? She's all, no, I screwed up. I should have put this. She's all, I know what I did is I doubled your salary by your hourly rate. And I shouldn't have done that. I just, I'm so overwhelmed with work that I just made a mistake. But I'm glad you brought that up because I would have gotten in trouble. And I said, well, I'm, I figured you would know that you guys would eventually. She's all, no, we do these kind of audits. We're so behind that you probably could have got away with this for about a whole year. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow.
But I didn't regret that. I didn't regret doing that. I remember laughing about it and going, man, you know, I could have held this on for, and then no, I went back to that day where my dad looked at me, where you get what you deserve. I did not work for that. I did not earn that money. No matter what they did, their mistake, even if they threw the money in my face, that money was not mine. Besides the karma, if you believe in that, the important thing here is to recognize when things come at you or for you. The question is, did I deserve this? Did I earn this? I got to eat a lot of tacos. Almost every day, I ate tacos. We worked hard to sell those tacos. And in return, I got to eat a lot of tacos. I still do. I still get to eat a lot of tacos. I get what I deserve. And that is all for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us. Just a quick note that next, our next episode that we publish will be the last episode of our season two. If you've been with us for the entirety of the season two, thank you very, very much for that. And uh, we'll talk to you a little bit more in a couple of weeks. I'd like to thank the many of you who continue to share the program, share this podcast, because uh, it is very humbling when we find out that people downloaded the episode because of somebody else, Tino. And to be honest with you, this is the only way it spreads. I am not purchasing advertisement stuff to, to, to promote it. I try to do it word of mouth, but I also rely on the many of you who do recommend it to others. So we do appreciate that you believe in us so much that you are willing to recommend it to others. That is very humbling. So thank you very much for that. Again, I'd like to thank Flobama, Screech Beats, and the rest of Caesar Omega for the theme song. I look forward to seeing you guys for our last episode of Season 2. Until then, I'm Isidro Salas, and this is 10,000 Tacos. <laughs>